This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. Hi, everybody. This is Richard Hatch, Karn the Undying, and XNR, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Tuning in will bring victory to the Klingon Empire. So say we all. Biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, friends from all over the galaxy to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. In episode 60, I am your co-host, Bill Smith. And joining me as he does every week about this time is a man who has missed his age of Ascension Ceremony twice. Once for incontinence, and once because he had a giant gorge on his nose and didn't want to look bad in the family photos. He makes Alexander Rajenko look like Kalis the Unforgettable. He's the Batak known as Dan Davidson. Dan Kapla. Wow, why don't you just hit me over the head with a pain stick? Um, <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> if we, if there's ever- what's his name? The, the guy on the radio show from Entertainment Tonight hit me with it. John Tesh. John Tesh, yeah. <laughs> if- thanks, for, thanks for that wonderful introduction. It's always a pleasure, man. You're welcome. I- if I'd had more time, I was going to do it like a little bit of theater like we did for Voyager, you know, with the uh, Akujimoya. I, I would have done my best uh, Klingon with the music behind me, but um, I, I thought it worked well. Yeah, it was great. How did you solve that incontinence anyway? I can't talk about that. <laughs> Still not solved. Oh, oops. Oops. <laughs> great. Thank you. Well, Dan, we have a great discussion on tap today as we're going to talk about something we've threatened to talk about for quite some time. Yeah, uh, you have wanted to talk about this for for a while, and we finally have gotten around to it. And we are going to discuss what has turned out in Star Trek to be probably the biggest um, alien race, and that's the Klingons. And you'll we've got some interesting information about what Klingons were originally supposed to be. The Klingons have changed so much from over the last 50 years and they've kind of changed more than star trek has itself which i think is pretty interesting (laughs) yes they've gone back to things and then they've changed again and then they've gone back it's kind of interesting yeah i think so we're gonna have i think a good time talking about that later there are things i like about klingons but we will definitely talk about the things i don't like and we'll let our friends and the uh the audience fire up their emails and tell me why i'm wrong (laughs) Oh my God, we'll be here all day. I know. That's look, <laughs> keep an eye out for episode sixty-one. Bill's wrong. <laughs> Very nice. Okay, Dan. In order to get that feedback to us, folks will have to send it. How might they accomplish that goal, sir? There's a plethora of ways that you can send that information, Bill. Uh, Twitter, Facebook, and Skype. Our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com or Give us a call at 508-784-1701 on your handy little Apple or Motorola or Verizon, whatever. Any kind of phone you want. Just dial it right up. Do also, it. what? Do it. Okay. And also, you can go to speakpipe, speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a voicemail right through your handy-dandy little computer. Uh, Camp Kittimer is our official Facebook group. Just go over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. Uh, we'll let you right in. There's a lot of great discussion, a lot of great people out there. Plus, you get early access to the episodes of the Trek Geeked podcast. Bill, I want you to remember one thing. What's that, Dan? Any comments or messages you leave on any of those places may be used in a future episode. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. Thank you, Dan Davidson, for that report for the field. 
Solid props to you, D Dog. <laughs> I, I have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's usual. Dan, this year we're also hoping that people send us their stories of the first time they watched Star Trek and our special Trek 50 project. Um, do you want to take a little bit of that, or do you want me to do it? Uh, you know what? You're you're sounding you're sounding great tonight. You go for it. Thank you, my friend. We want everyone to take part in this. It's our special way of commemorating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek. And really all you have to do is leave us a message telling us about the first time you watched Star Trek. It's that simple. This is that one thing that unifies us all as fans, whether it's the stories or the characters. And we all have a different path into this franchise. Everyone's story is unique. So which episode did you see first? Or maybe it was a movie. What was it that made you want to keep watching? We're going to take all of those episodes when you, you know, give us a little ringy dingy or send us a voicemail. And we're going to package it together as a special podcast episode to drop the week of the 50th anniversary in September. So you can call us directly at 508-784-1701. Or you can go to our SpeakPipe page, speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks. Or you can just go to trekgeeks.com and click on the big old blue button on the right-hand side and give us your message. We just ask that you keep it to three minutes or under. And please definitely tell us who you are and where you're from. We want to hear from as many people as possible. But for all the details, including how to get that message to us again, head on over to the special page we've set up at trekgeeks.com slash trek50. That's trekgeeks.com slash trek50 to get all the details. Very nice. Can I say one thing? Yeah. Speak pipe is the hardest thing in the world to say when you're trying to do it in a sentence. It's almost <laughs> as hard as Trek geeks. <laughs> yeah, as we've learned right. from talking to guests. <laughs> well, Dan, the time has come. We've talked about this and talked about it and talked about it. And tonight, we are finally going to broach the topic of one of the oldest and fiercest adversaries the Federation has ever faced. The Borg? No. The Cardassians? No. I speak, of course, sir, of the Klingons. Oh, shivers. <laughs> I got a shiver down my spine. I thought you were going to say the Packlets. Uh, they, they are fierce. They make things go. Yes, we want more. Yeah, we, this is something that we've been, like I said, we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Uh, there's some cool facts about the Klingons uh, from the original uh, series from the TOS days 50 years ago. Um, I'm looking forward to the discussion. I'm looking forward to the reaction of our discussion after the fact and see how you just get hammered by the fans and the listeners. Lambasted, <laughs> eviscerated, all of that <laughs> in episode 61. That'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some brief history. So we may as well start at the beginning because, I mean, all stories tend to start there for the most part. Mm -hmm. The Klingons, contrary to popular myth, not created by Gene Roddenberry himself. He did not create a, a big bad of sorts because in Gene's world, he thought we were maybe a little past that to some degree. He didn't necessarily want an adversary week after week after week. Yep. So they were created by a man who created a lot of the great things in Star Trek, and that was Gene Kuhn. Yes. And the other thing that I found interesting is all, even though Gene Kuhn created the Klingons, they were actually named after a police partner of Roddenberry's when he was a police officer, and that was Lieutenant Wilbur Klingon. And so that's where the name Klingons came from, which is kind of neat. Um, they are modeled, of course, back in the 60s, we had the Cold War going on, so they were modeled after the Russians, uh, even though they seem to have that Oriental look, at least in the very beginning. Yeah. Um, I thought that was very interesting. It's, it's, it's funny in regards to the makeup. One of the things I've always found interesting is the great late John Colicos, if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I've always wondered if that's the right pronunciation. Um, he used to speak of when he showed up at the taping of the episode Errand of Mercy that he was starring in. Um, when he sat down on the makeup chair to become a Klingon, neither he nor the makeup crew had any idea what they were supposed to do. They had no clue as to what the Klingons <laughs> were supposed to look like. And so they came up with this Fu Manchu look with very dark skin, bushy eyebrows, and that was what they decided to go with for the other episodes that the Klingons were in. Although 
the Klingons were only supposed to be seen in one episode, and that was that errand of mercy. That kind of blows my mind a little bit on all all fronts. One that nobody had any idea what they were supposed to look like. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, great. How do they wardrobe those guys? <laughs> With gold tissue paper? <laughs> <laughs> gold lame. And, act- and actually, the belt buckles, I remember reading, were uh, pop. Those pop the stuff that you get in packing the poppy things. Oh, like uh, peanuts or bubble? Yeah, wrap? no, the bubble wrap, bubble wrap, exactly. That's what the belts were made out of. Oh wow, I yeah. had no idea. Yep. It also blows my mind they were only supposed to be in one episode. Yeah, that but was that think, was quite a uh, interesting read. About I think that we can attribute part of that to John Colicos because his core is just so evil and so devious and just so. Uh, He's he's compelling on some sense because yeah. you don't want to like him, certainly as a as a person as a character. Mm-hmm. But Colicos really just sort of knocks it out of the park, man. He, he does. He's the father of Klingons, and that devilish grin and how he talks about how you smile too much, and just the way that his voice sounds when he's when he's core is great. And he was actually supposed to be. Um, in the other Klingon episodes, when they decided that they were going to do other ones like tri- uh, Trouble with Tribbles, he was supposed to be in it. But scheduling for him was always difficult. So that's why they ended up having other Klingons show up like Kang and Koloth. He was supposed to be in Day of the Dove as well, but he wasn't available for that. So he was going to be the man, the Klingon. But um, still, the one episode is one to remember. It was probably one of the best Klingon characters we've seen in Star Trek history. I, I have to agree with that, hands down, because he was just so sinister. Mm-hmm. You know, the Klingons at that point, they were kind of empire builders. They weren't necessarily, let's go fight in battle for battle's sake, because that's the way to to Stovacor, because there was no legend of Stovacor at that time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the Klingons were clearly looking to build a block of planets around their territory. And this guy was just, sinister really is the best word I can come up with, because that's how truly wicked he was. I love that character to the nth degree. And to me, it is the epitome of what Klingon should be. Mm-hmm. He was ruthless and he was unemotional. What, how many uh, of uh, the uh, people on the planet was he going to bring into the main area and kill for any amount of Klingons? One Klingon died, a thousand Organians would be killed? I think so. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, totally ruthless. And uh, uh, it's really a shame that he wasn't in other episodes. That would have changed the look of Klingons and I think how they they evolved over time, I think, quite drastically. Mm-hmm. Um, you wouldn't have seen, I think, episodes like maybe Friday's Child where the, the Klingon just really didn't seem all that tough. He's kind of a dork. A bald Klingon? Never <laughs> seen that. <laughs> receding. Yeah, oh, sorry. Like receding me. Klingon. Like me. Male uh, pattern look, look like me as a Klingon. <laughs> Ooh, I'm scared. <laughs> Uh, Mill pattern Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, there was an evolution to the Klingons. You know, from TOS, their look was certainly more simplistic. And they weren't just warriors. They were conquerors. There's a big difference to me. And then you get to the motion picture. And we don't really get the sense of who or what they were, quite frankly. We just know that they looked the way they should have all along. But we never had the budget on TV, so that's why they didn't look this way, mm-hmm. which I always felt was kind of a cop-out. I always thought it was very interesting that right from the motion picture, it was always dark when Klingons were around. Yeah. It was always uh, foggy. Is that the right word? M- musty. Uh, and that was right from the first from the first time we saw the uh, um, the inside of the bridge on the Klingon battlecruiser with, with Mark Lennard as the first ridged Klingon that we ever saw. They almost look like snarling dogs in the motion picture. I don't mean that to be an insult. I mean, that's just the makeup. Mm -hmm. They clearly looked more animalistic in TMP. And I think the fact that they were speaking Klingon may have led to that perception by me as a child. Because let's face it, I saw the motion picture when I was 10. Yeah. But it definitely marked a shift in the way Klingons were portrayed. Now, granted, you know, V'ger was a little different. I mean, they were going to investigate this thing, which still blows my mind. That the Klingons would investigate anything. Instead of conquer it. Yeah, or try to kill it, which they may have been trying to do. Mm-hmm. I've never read the novelization of the motion picture, but that is possible. Um, but then we get to the next generation in 87, and they kind of 
took that look and kicked it up two or three notches, quite honestly, because there's headbutting, there's talks of honor and battle, and you know, you figure when we encounter the uh, the, the the Klingons who were on the ship, you know, where Von Armstrong was on, and mm-hmm. uh, they do the the death howl. Yes, it's like we start building this lore of Klingons, and with this different look that wasn't part of the original character. And for me, I think this is kind of where it starts to go awry. I have a hard time investing in those Klingons. I agree with with you, and and you could you can tell that in that specific episode, they really had no idea where they were going with it because Von Armstrong's Klingon called the home planet Kling. Right. right. So, and that changed quite quickly down the road and that's always uh, something that I thought was that was interesting but I'll tell you man you brought up I hated that that first death howl one that we saw, episode that we saw and then they they kind of left it by the wayside they only used it at particular times mhm kalar when kalar died in particular but for all the other klingons that die on next gen you never see it right mhm it was convenient it was i think it was a really fascinating aspect of klingon society because I could see the the TOS era Klingons, you know, the, the Kors and the Kangs and the Koloths of the world possibly doing something similar. But there would have to be a good reason and lore behind it, I think. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, by the time we get to DS9, the Klingons are kind of like TNG, but much like, you know, the pilot emissary, they're aggressive and more adversarial. They're a little more spiritual at times because they talk about feelings. You know, Martok and Worf have several, you know, personal conversations, which you don't see in TNG at all. Agreed. I think they're also, and, and this goes to your spiritual, they're much more religious in what their beliefs in regards to Kalis are. Everything revolves around what Kalis means to them starting in the DS9 time frame. You didn't really hear anything about that in TNG. You get the clone of Kalis at one point. Oh, that's right. That that was. I'm thinking that was that was DNA. That's nine. You're you're right. Yeah. But that's really. I mean, that's really it. And then we never hear why you know Kalis has a ridged head in TNG and he didn't in TOS <laughs> until you get to Enterprise about 15 years later. <laughs> <laughs> and and how Kor, King, and Koloth were augmented, but then they weren't. Right. <laughs> like they could reverse it. Yes, reverse augmentation. So we'll stipulate for the moment that. None of that really makes sense. It's a fun story in Enterprise, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but we're just going to accept the fact that they changed it because that's how Klingon looks now. Yes. Klingons looked now. And then, of course, you know, Voyager, the Klingons are practically non-existent. You get Bolana, who's half Klingon, and in Faces, her half Klingon side is a little too aggressive and adversarial, but that's a byproduct of being separated from the human half. Right. You get Barge of the Dead, which is a fine episode, but it goes back into that more TNG-like lore. Agreed. And then in Enterprise, they're mostly non-existent, with the exception of a few episodes to appease the hardcore Trekkies. Although the entire series is based on one Klingon landing on Earth. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. That's a good yeah. point. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. And, uh, but he had that look. Yeah. He had the look of the regular Klingons that in TOS didn't exist. But... So tell me some things you love about the Klingons overall, because, I mean, I don't want this to sound like we're dumping on Klingons for an hour. No, I I got to say that I know that what you mentioned in, in, in the motion picture, how they didn't look right. I did like the evolution of the makeup as the shows continued on. Uh, I liked how ridges were like fingerprints and there was never two ridges that were the same. Uh, I thought that the storyline about honor during some of the TNG episodes was very strong and very well written. But I think that it kind of got weaker when it became more all about the religion and nothing is more important than honor. Um, I, I think that they overdid that from time to time. Uh, but I, I, people like uh, um, Bob uh, Riley Galron was one of the greatest looking Klingons. Just it's probably just because of his eyes and not anything to do with the makeup, right? Um, but uh, I think that would be the first thing that would come to mind. Thinking about the things I liked about the Klingons, I love the weaponry, the knives. I've I've always thought that they were very interesting. The curvature to them and how uh, the Tatag dagger had the little T 
teeth that came out of the out of the uh, out of the handle. Yeah. Um, I thought that that was pretty cool. I think we first saw that in Star Trek Three, if I remember correctly. That sounds right. Uh, yeah. Um, so I did. I do like that. Although I will say that it seemed like there was a different blade every episode. Later on, Worf had his batleth, and then there were the um, the weird looking one that he would keep behind his back. The um, on DS Nine. Yeah. Uh, so it was very cool. I always did find it interesting that a race that was as advanced as them didn't seem to want to use the advanced weaponry all the time and instead would just go with blades. I always thought that a little odd. That, that's one of my chief criticisms with, with Klingons, quite honestly, that the fact that they don't always use disruptors, for example, unless they're in battle mm-hmm. in space. But this whole notion of, you know, battle for battle's sake, you know, I have to go back to Kor and, and the original Klingons there. You know, they're, they didn't go around singing stories of great battles, you know, songs of great battles and telling mm-hmm. stories and talking about the first Klingon, and you know, uh, about their adventures or trips to the Klingon monasteries. You know, it was more about the Federation was a threat to their empire and we must acquire these planets to insulate us from the human threat. And I, I think that the more we got closer into this lore that was created for the Klingons, it just became 180 degrees out of phase for what the original Klingons were. Mm-hmm. Now, there are things I like about Klingons. You know, Ron Moore has written some amazing Klingon stories. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. You know, even though I I don't necessarily like the way Klingons evolved, there are some fabulous stories. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, uh, one of my favorites, probably my favorite Klingon episode, is "Sins of the Father." Yeah, Kim Peck is a great Klingon. He is he is formidable, and just because he's such a big guy, but as a leader, he he will he'll be a snake in the grass to get what is for the best or better of the empire. And that's uh, with the discommendation of Worf. I th- just brilliant writing how they handled that. I thought it was great. I have to say that I think my favorite Klingon episodes outside of the original series, because, you know, John Colicos's appearance as a Klingon mm-hmm. is always going to be my favorite. Mm-hmm. But if I look at post TOS, I have to jump all the way to DS nine and yes. like the way of the warrior. You know, Very when they, they brought in the Klingons into the Dominion War, and then they had to justify a reason to have Klingons, so then they brought Worf over. Because only a Klingon can apparently understand Klingons, even though we made peace with these people 75 years beforehand. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's a it, it's a great examination of Klingon honor. There's a little bit of headbutting that goes on, mm-hmm. but... I, it introduces Martok, who I think is the most layered and interesting Klingon in some time in episodic Star Trek. Yes, I would. He's my favorite Klingon uh, um, of the new breed, so to speak. I've always, I mean, I, did, I can go on for hours and hours about about what I like about uh, him and the role, the storyline, his family history. Um, but before I get into that anymore, one of the things I wanted to bring up, which you mentioned is DS nine episodes. There were some great ones. I think blood oath was a great Klingon story. I think maybe a little nostalgia wise, because they brought back the three originals in the new Klingon makeup in that episode. And I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good story. I thought it was a little weak ending. Um, but I did enjoy it. I, I have a mixed relationship with Blood Oath. It is fun to see, you know, William Campbell and Michael Ansara and John Colicos again, even if they're looking like headbanging Klingons, which is what I refer to them as. They look like they just stepped out of a Swedish, you know, heavy metal tribute band. As that's a phrase I like to use. Um, you know, they are a little more TNG type Klingons than necessarily the TOS Klingons they originated, but I get that it fits that era now. The story is is okay. It's a decent one, but you're right. The ending is a little hokey. Yes, it is a little hokey. Um, I also always wondered, uh, Core must have really eaten a lot of 
candy between the time that he was in Errand of Mercy and <laughs> in DS9 because his teeth got bad. <laughs> okay, so why do all the Klingons, except for the ones who are, you know, really, you know, serious actors, have bad teeth? And miss, you know, pointed teeth. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because John Colicos is, he commands the screen as core. His teeth are fine. With that devilish grin with those pearly whites. Yep. And you honestly, I hate to bring it up, but even though this is not canon, but Richard Hatch and Axanar, or prelude to Axanar, mm-hmm. comes off great as a Klingon and he doesn't have bad teeth either. Good teeth. He uh, is yeah. devious. He is a conqueror. Mm-hmm. It is a Klingon in the spirit of Klingons, but and then you have to jump all the way to Chang in Undiscovered Country. What a great Klingon! A phenomenal Klingon, probably the closest to core of all the Klingons that have been. Just a fantastic job. Just the whole idea of having such a legend be a Klingon, and he nailed it. The patch with the bolts attached to his head, that's one of my favorite aspects of that character. If all of the Klingons had been like that in the TNG era or whatever, forget the bad teeth. They don't need bad teeth. They don't need to look mm-hmm. like, well, <laughs> animal things. <laughs> 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 to use the TNG parlance. They didn't need to look like that to convey, you know, hardy warriors. They just didn't. Since we're on the subject of teeth, here's the other thing that I found interesting. TNG was seven years on television. How come Worf's teeth changed so much over the course of those seven years? It's because season one, he sounded like he had a retainer in. <laughs> Captain, <laughs> let me fire my face at this view screen. And then you get into like season seven, he's like, Captain, <laughs> I do not think that we should do that. That's yeah, a good point. Not now, Worf. <laughs> That's a good point that you bring up is with the teeth, I'll tell you, there were some episodes where it was hard to understand what people were saying because the because of the teeth. It's kind of hard to talk with those things. Yeah. Oh, no so, doubt. Yeah. I, uh, um, JG got very good at it because of conventions he has the teeth in when he does his little routine uh, with Bob and and – but even then, you can tell that he sometimes has problems with it, and they'll have to stop and, and fix them, put them back in or whatever. Uh, it, it was That is something that I always found interesting, like like you like you brought out. I don't think I have as big a deal as you do about it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all me. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. My just, fault. Let you feed off of it, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, we've talked about core. We've talked about Chang. We've talked a little bit about Kang and Koloth, but let's talk about one of your favorites. <laughs> Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, oh. Christopher Lloyd as Krug. I thought he was great because he was, he was ruthless, but at the same time, they were able to throw a little bit of comedy in. And good teeth. And good teeth. <laughs> teeth make the Klingons, I'm telling you. He had no problem... Killing his girlfriend, wife, whatever Valkris was at the beginning. No problem. Didn't bat an eyelash doing that. Um, he went nuts when his little zombie dog died um, and then decided to open fire on the Enterprise. His Targ? His, yeah. <laughs> that was the funniest looking Targ I Zombie dog. Zombiedog.checkpeaks.com. Got it. Hashtag zombie dog. Um, and – uh, he didn't bat a, a Klingon eyelash when he said to kill whoever one of the soldiers wanted to kill. He didn't care which one. Just kill him. Well, in his character, you know, for all the problems I have with Christopher Lloyd playing a Klingon. Oh. <laughs> go ahead, do it. Let's get it out. Oh, I've come a long way for the power of Genesis. And what do I find? A weakling human, a Vulcan boy, and a woman. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Davidson as Christopher Lloyd as Commander Krug. (laughs) Only on the Trek Geeks podcast. Consult your local listings. So I forget where I was going now because you always kill it with that impersonation. Um, 
so Krug was probably the most like a TOS era Klingon at that point before Chang. Because I think that Chang trumps Krug, honestly, in his level of deviousness, in the way he just commands the screen with pure, you know, evil's not the right word, but the right word kind of escapes me. Sinisterism. Uh, that's yeah. not even a word, but he is purely sinister. Krug, but not so I, much. I have to wonder, though, um, is that presence on screen just because it's Christopher Plummer? Would we have gotten the same thing if it was a different actor playing Chang? Because you've got a living legend playing that character, and he really kills it because he's such a great actor. If it was somebody else, would we still be thinking the same thing? I don't think we would, but it's I think it's Plummer's interpretation of the character that is key because he's providing the canon for that character. I mean, yeah, the writers write it and put it on the page, but mm-hmm. the actor has to bring it to life. And it's I think the actor that adds that just that feeling of you really better not cross this guy because he is one bad dude. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if Chang, I'm sorry, if um, if Christopher Plummer had played Claw in Star Trek V, oh. I think it would have been a much different result. But the writing of that character still would have been bad. Yes, that's a very good point because that was not a good character. No, that wasn't a good character at all. That was, you know, a, a B story, you know, villain who's not who's going to wind up not being a villain. Who has to tender an apology? I apologize. That's a teeth problem. He had bad teeth, so he couldn't talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Going back to Christopher Lloyd for a second, I will admit that at the end, when he and Kirk are facing off, that was weak, I thought. I didn't think the dialogue was great between the two of them, and I didn't think that the um, uh, fight was all that believable and then for him like in a disney movie he just falls off the cliff and dies like all the disney (laughs) (laughs) well and and kirk you know essentially kicking him you know in the head you know the i have had enough of you it's like really yeah really a week a week yeah i I thought the fight was a little weak i mean it was interesting that the planet was breaking up around them Mm -hmm. but ultimately I thought it provided uh, provided a, a very disjointed action sequence. Up until that point, though, I have to say that I really enjoy that character. Another example of his ruthlessness and viciousness that I always loved was the guy, you know, targeted the wrong part of uh, the uh, uh, the Grissom and destroyed it. And so Krug just takes out his disruptor and vaporizes him. Notice he didn't use a blade weapon. Ah, very nicely put. Okay, so I clearly have some homework. Thanks to you and thanks to our good friend Trey Womack, <laughs> member of Camp Kittimer and longtime fan of this podcast almost since day one. Yes. We love you, buddy. I yes. will go back and I will watch Star Trek through the search for Spock and try to develop a new appreciation for Krug. Okay. Is that I would fair? Like that. That's fair. Something that we don't think we'll ever develop an appreciation for is Captain Claw in Star Trek V. And we talked oh. about him just a little bit ago. Yeah. There are numerous problems with this Klingon. And let me first start with the look. Oh, it's terrible. He's got, you know, I use the heavy metal band line a lot, but that's really where it came from. I remember sitting in the theater in, was it 89 when that movie came out? And I was in Concord, New Hampshire with a bunch of friends and we were going to see the movie and I'm thinking, ah, oh, this will be great. We were with some people who'd never seen Star Trek before. And, um, when that scene occurs, when you first see claw, I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> He's got hair. Well, first his, his hairline looks like it's receding even for a yep. Klingon. And it looks, they look like they've used about four cans of Aquanet because it is the eighties. On his hair to get it to stick up and go back, almost like a lion's mane. Mane, yes. And I get what they were trying to do. And then you know he's got this, you know, the, his Klingon vest on, and it's showing a you know a V all the way down to like his his navel practically. Mm. He's all buff and stuff. And then he pulls out a periscope on the bridge. I'm like, <laughs> really? 
<laughs> really? So we're using target practice. Yeah, target practice. We're using 1950s submarine technology on a Klingon bird of prey to shoot space junk, which, oh, by the way, just happens to be an old satellite from NASA. We've never seen that in Star Trek before. <laughs> I have to say that in addition to him, his what I believe is his first officer, the female Klingon. That was not a look that I thought was all that great. She had like some weird braid like up in the top part of her forehead that went all the way down the side of her head and then behind her ears. Very, very odd look and very odd ridges, I thought. Very subtle. And I think they they brought this – I forget who what, who the actress is. They brought that in because she was a bodybuilder and she looked like a tough warrior as well. Is that uh, Spice Williams? Is that right? I'm going to look that I up. I don't remember, unfortunately. And her name was Vixus in the uh, in the movie, I believe. That was her character name. But I don't re- I don't recall the actual actress's name. Uh, it is. Spice. She's now Spice Williams Crosby, but it was Spice okay. Williams who played Vixus. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, and I liked how the, the periscope kind of like – he like had to, for some reason, like bolt it to his chair <laughs> so he could like turn around and <laughs> – that's yeah. The whole idea that the captain of the ship is going to control the guns. It's like oh. a joystick for the navigation. For oh 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 wait, that would never happen in Star Trek. Oh, oh. wait. <laughs> I think that part of the problem with the Klingons in Star Trek Five is that Next Generation was already in production, and they tried to to make the Klingons a little more reminiscent necessarily than than what some people may know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they were thinking that some people are watching Star Trek on television and they're going to go watch Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, and we should make these Klingons a little over the top. Right. Maybe. I don't know. That That's speculation on my part. But I think that what Star Trek V did to Klingons overall was just an affront. Wow. They, okay. Much like the way Voyager, you know, totally, you know took the teeth out of the Borg. Ugh. I thought that Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, made the Klingon something less than fearsome. It's interesting that you say that, because I got to say that if it wasn't for Christopher Plummer as Chang in Star Trek VI, that would have been a continuation of what they became in Star Trek V, because David Warner as uh, Gorkon was not very formidable at all. No. Neither was his daughter. Well, they were bringers um, of peace. And they had pink blood, purple blood, pink, purple blood, whatever the color was, <laughs> which was another thing that we never saw again. Um, so, yeah, uh, they were bringers of peace. But at the same time, this warrior race mentality is completely gone from them except for Chang. And if they are this warrior race with this you know, the, the system based on honor and battles, they never should have had people trying to bring peace. Even if Praxis had blown up, in theory. And when, also, if they're so hell-bent on honor and peace, they never should have had a renegade general who developed a bird of prey that could fire while cloaked, because that's not honorable. It's really not. It's a great I mean, it's a great movie. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah. there are problems with movie. it. I, um, I feel like we just got further and further away from what the original vision of Klingons were. And granted, every character, every alien in Star Trek evolves. But I don't think that any alien race has evolved like this or to this extent. Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Am I, what do you think? I don't think you're wrong at all. Um, I don't, I'm not really sure how to put it into words. Let me, let me think for a second while you talk and I'll see if I can put it into words. <laughs> <laughs> I um. I can appreciate on some level that the Klingons didn't go anywhere and they tried to make the Klingons more interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. by giving them, you know, a society, by giving them a lore. But it seems really weird and also very unsupportable that their entire system and economy and political structure would be geared toward war and battle. Right. They have no scientists. They have no engineers. Who the hell learns how to fix those engines on their ships? Is it guys reading knowledge base articles on AOL, for God's sake? AOL. <laughs> but, I mean, somebody's got to understand intermix ratio mm-hmm. and you know, deflector technology. Right. 
and theoretically, these positions exist on these Klingon ships, and somebody has to have that skill set. And if all Klingons want to go to battle and be warriors, who learns the sciencey stuff? Exactly. People like Alexander, who who uh, some some people like his father didn't think he was built to be a warrior, so he thought he should go into the sciences. But he seems to be, at least from what we see on screen, a definite minority. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. Did you find it interesting that they tried to build out other races and then just really stopped? For an example, the Romulans? Yeah. Did you ever think that they concentrated too much on the Klingons and not about the other adversaries like the Romulans or – Gosh, I can't – who else comes to mind even? But they did try to do a little bit of Romulan history and stuff in uh, some TNG and some DS9, but nowhere near the level that they did uh, with the Klingons. And then, of course, the whole debacle with the Remans and Nemesis. Oh, my word. Don't even talk about Nemesis. <laughs> I'm just itching to try the Argo. <laughs> <laughs> And you notice well, Worf had had our time speaking in that movie too in Nemesis. So in the scene on the planet where they're looking for the pieces of the positronic signal, which turned out to be mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. you know, Data says, "Huh, positronic," and Worf goes, "How astute!" It sounds like he's got a mouthful of marbles. He must have had his retainer back in. <laughs> No, he, he was really good when he was like, "It is a gorge." That was pretty good in that in that movie. Definitely feeling aggressive tendencies. <laughs> and he had the funny smile with the teeth. And, <laughs> oh, shoot! I mean, <laughs> you're killing me, man. You're, you're killing welcome. me. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I just, I, I really, there was a quality to Klingons that we had at one point, and then I think we lost. But I think there's the potential to get it back someday. What you, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say even though we're we're saying some of the things that we don't like about it, you got to give like a tremendous amount of credit to Michael Dorn and what he did as Worf for those. What did he play? Twelve seasons of Worf uh, on the different on the two series and then in the movies. Yeah, he's sure. he's responsible, I think, for a lot of the. Uh, things that people love about Klingons, his internal strife with being a Starfleet officer instead of being a Klingon warrior. That was always something that was very interesting, sort of like the Spock Vulcan Science Academy Starfleet thing. Uh, He did a great job. Well, I'm glad they had a chance to focus on it too. And ultimately you can thank Denise Crosby for leaving next gen. If you Mm -hmm. think about it, because we probably wouldn't have the development with Worf that we had, Mm -hmm. you know, he, uh, he wasn't really even supposed to be around all that much. Right. Right. What is it with the good Klingons? They're not supposed to be around, and then we wind up, you know, keeping them for a while. <laughs> oh, well. You know what a good Klingon episode was, not to get off on a tangent? Yeah, what's up? I, I can't think of the episode right now, the title, but when the DS9 crew become Klingons. That's, it was kind of cool to see them as Klingons. Odo oh, yeah. And Miles yeah. And Cisco, Cisco was a good Klingon. That's I be- liked him. That's at the beginning of season, season five, six, isn't it? Five or six. I forget which one. Um, it's the first episode of that season, if I remember correctly. Keep talking. Uh, but it's uh, – I did – that was another one where we got a lot of the Klingon lore and the and the order of the Batleth. And although I did find it very interesting and somewhat confusing that the head of the Klingon Empire would be there to give these medals and their security really sucked. <laughs> it's a Apocalypse Rising. It's the season yes. five premiere. Okay, season five premiere. You've got the, the head of the Klingon Empire there. Um, you know that there are – um, there is the possibility of changelings in the area, or well, they probably didn't know about the Federation coming down. But instead of having you know a lot of guards, you know, keeping tabs on the Chancellor, everybody just gets drunk. That's another thing about Klingons; they yeah. drink too much. Well, they drink too much. They butt well, heads. You know, they get into fights at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. or a drop of a dagger or whatever. Everything is, you know, you've dishonored my house. Yeah. And I get it, all right? You're warriors. But let's dial it back a little bit. What about the rest of Klingon society? 
Because mm-hmm. clearly not everybody can be part of the war effort. Right. And we only saw that maybe once when Picard went to talk to the old Klingon woman. Yeah. You never saw the slums of the Klingon homeworld any other time. No. It was always the Great Hall. It was fascinating. Mm-hmm. You know, she was his – the equivalent of his nanny or his governess and – Just Chadich. And and she's, you know, in this part of town that really nobody ought to go to. <laughs> and no. honestly, why are people jumping Picard <laughs> if the Klingon society is about honor? Yes, I get they were the agents of Duras, but why would these Klingons go, oh, yeah, that <laughs> might get me to Stovacor. Let's jump this guy from behind yes. and kill him. Good. So um, as we look forward to Klingons, one of the things I was really excited about, and I know that this is not true of everybody, were the way the Klingons looked in the JJ-verse. Oh. We talked about the Klingons at length. I'm sorry, the JJ-verse at length last week. But one of the things that I really loved in Into Darkness was – when they when Uhura gets off the ship and she goes to talk to the Klingons and he mm. takes off the helmet. And by the way, I'm okay with the helmets because they're warriors. Yes. And you see this look. And the Klingons all of a sudden, if you'll pardon the expression, seem like they have their teeth back. They look scary. They look uh, – fearsome is the word I keep using because they struck fear into me. Mm-hmm. Like this is a race that we do not want to mess with. Right. And they are a huge problem and they will kill us. I, I I thought a couple of things I liked about the Klingons and the JJ verse. First of all, I love the idea that they talked about the Keth of the Lowlands. Nice, nice reference to DS9 and Martok and everything. I thought that was great. I liked their ships. I kind of, I thought it was kind of strange that they'd have battalions of warriors repelling off the ship to get to the ground that they did. But it gave a little bit of, you know, a little bit of, uh, of oh, my God, what's going on here? But what you, you, you're you right. When he took that helmet off with the pierced ridges. Yeah. The, and then that, we'll talk about it. We talked about it earlier. That blade that he pulled out was badass. That was badass. And then he got stabbed with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you think that them being the Klingons and all, I don't know, they beam in? <laughs> Maybe. So, I mean – the that that depiction of Klingons not perfect, but totally interesting and awe inspiring. Yes. You know, you watch the 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 making of stuff on the on the DVDs and the Blu-rays, and you get the sense that those piercings on the Klingons are like trophies. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, wow, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. That is really cool, and it changes the lore a little more, and I think makes it a little more understandable. If we're going to have a warlike species, there are always trophies of war and symbols of victory, and it's not always songs. Yeah. And if these guys are that aggressive and that adversarial and that warlike, I think it makes sense that they would have some kind of physical manifestation Mm -hmm. of those victories. And it was just, it made me drop my jaws what it did when I saw that guy. That makes me think of one of the things I liked about one of the DS9 Klingon episodes was when the guy had a Klingon neck bone necklace. Yeah. And that was that's a, that was cool. I thought that was great. And that's what you just said about the JJ vs. Klingons made me think of that because that – yeah, that would be kind of cool to have that lore written up like that in the JJ verse. That's, that's a lore I understand. Mm-hmm. You know, I would love to see them expand the Klingon universe at some point, um, whether in comics or, or maybe even books. You know, because I think that there are some interesting tales to tell in that alternate universe. But you know, ultimately, I've—I'm not going to lie. There are Klingon episodes I love. There are guilty pleasures. Sometimes it's fun to just see the Klingons on the screen getting into fights with Batlets. That's mm-hmm. that's a hundred percent true. Yeah. But by and large, I've just never been a fan of where the Klingons went after TOS. Yeah. And I know I'm in the minority. I know people are going to say I'm wrong. I know people are going to tell me I'm crazy. And that's fine. You know, infinite diversity and infinite combinations, you know? Oh, look at that. Very nice. I will say one thing. I I don't know if we're going to see too much lore in the JJ-verse because I think Brent Spiner said he didn't want to be in any more movies. I am going to smack <laughs> you. 
I really am. I'm going to get my Klingon Batleth, which is hanging downstairs, because I have ah. one. Okay. And I'm going to... I'm going to Duras you, is what I'm going to do. <laughs> okay. Can wow. I just say how cool that was for a minute before we get off the topic of Klingons? Worf killing Duras. Oh, you want to talk was... about badass? <laughs> that was the most badass Worf has ever been. Yeah. Aside from whole... First Contact... Where he cuts off the Borg's arm and then ties ties it around his leg to keep the pressure in his suit. That was pretty badass too. But when he kills Duras as a Starfleet officer, you're like, damn. What? That whole storyline in the, in the next generation with Duras and and the House of Moog was brilliantly written. They played on it a little bit in Enterprise, and I don't think it really ever caught on the same way because it was a different generation of Klingon family houses. But that whole arc with Kern and this commendation was brilliantly done. It was. I appreciated what it meant for Worf. I, I like Worf's development more than I like the development of Klingons overall. I do have to yeah. say that. Because they at least gave Michael Dorn really interesting things to do. And unlike the original series, they actually remembered what happened to characters. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Well, Dan, speaking of things that are nice, we would love it if folks took a little bit of time to log into iTunes. Yes. And maybe give us a rating in the hopes of maybe winning some bucks. What do you think? I think uh, I think that's awesome. Yes, twenty five bucks if you do a review on iTunes for us, and we don't care if it's one star, five stars, any stars in between. The real star is Bill, to be honest with you. But any number of stars would be welcome. And tell us what you think of the show. Um, to get details of the contests or the the raffle that we're doing, so to speak, for the twenty five dollar Amazon gift card or the equivalent of twenty five dollars, whichever country your Amazon store is in. Just head over to trekgeeks.com slash iTunes and check it out and uh, get that review up. We've had some great ones recently. We really have, and we have to thank everybody who submitted a review. It truly means the world to Dan and me, and um, we hope to help more people discover this podcast and and enjoy the discussions. Hopefully you enjoyed today's discussion. Hopefully you also enjoy all the music you hear on this very podcast every single week, courtesy of our friends in the band Five Year Mission. I say it every week now. They are your house band for STLV 50 in Las Vegas this August. Five straight days of FARC and everybody else. That's amazing. We could just say five straight days of FARC. I actually was thinking um, the other day I was watching some TOS, Bill. Oh, no. And um, I couldn't – I didn't really recognize or remember the episode, but I'll describe it for you. Maybe you can help me out. There was a bunch of band members all like crammed into a room and just kind of milling about. I think it was the Fark of Gideon, but I'm not sure. Do you remember? Oh, that's just (laughs) – some of of these days we have to come up with lines for for Noah and Patrick and Chris and even (laughs) Rittenhouse. But for now – we're going to endure endless Fark puns because Dan can create them. <laughs> the Fark of Gideon. Oh, That's a good one. I like that, that. that was fantastic. <laughs> well, Dan, coming up next week, we have a long-awaited event. Oh. Why don't you tell everybody what we're going to talk about next week here on Trek Geeks? Yeah, it is finally here. We've been waiting for this since November. Bill and I specifically for that long. Um, We're going to talk about the long-awaited sixth episode from Star Trek Continues called Come Not Between the Dragons. And we're going to warn you right now, there will be spoilers aplenty. Spoilers aplenty. Spoilers aplenty. That's right. A spoiler-tastic episode of Trek Geeks next week. So you'll want to be sure that you've seen episode six of Star Trek Continues Come Not Between the Dragons. And if not... You want to watch it first. You really are. Might not be a bad idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's awesome. We have seen it only because we donated. We were backers on the crowdfunding yes. and we got early access to view it. And I don't want to I, I don't want to ruin our, <laughs> our, our our story for next week, but wow. Three times already. Three? Really? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Wait, it's time for an intervention. <laughs> 
For more great Star Trek discussion, please check out the Tricorder Transmissions online at thetricordertransmissions.com. Dan, on their most recent shore leave, our good friend Larry Namachek, one of yes. our favorite guests here on Trek Geek, stopped by. That episode is like two and a half hours long. All kinds of great convention talk, all kinds of re- listener questions. Um, we definitely hope everybody checks that out. How long do you say it is? About two and a half hours. Two and a half hours. So that means like for two hours and 27 minutes, Larry was talking. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we love you, Larry. He's the best. <laughs> and also, please check out our good friends at treknews.net for all the latest news on things Star Trek. I'm sure they're going to have plenty of coverage on the Star Trek fan event from the Paramount lot, but please uh, please be sure to make them part of your Trek News information. For now, this has been Episode 60 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We hope you all live long and prosper. Hmm. So, uh, so Bill. Yes, Dan. Are you listening? Uh, yes. Okay. Coconut! Ah! Yeah! Shake the coconut rack to Gino! That's all I have. <laughs>
What are yeah, you talking about? You texted me. You sent me one of those Facebook voice messages. <laughs> you're like, <sighs> what? Kill Spock? Please, That's not what we came to Vulcan for, is it? <laughs> could you play that right now, please? Because I don't believe I ever sent you that. Uh, I deleted it. Oh, yes, of I'm course. I'm not on did. that computer. You don't delete anything. That's not I, true. I call you out on something and you go, well, check your chat message from 17 months ago. It's in there. Well, Facebook actually lets you keep that stuff. <laughs> I can't help it if you don't read. <laughs> I don't type good either. So, <laughs> Well, you don't type well. I don't, I don't talk too great in other. So I'm thinking that when LeVar Burton did that Kickstarter for Reading Rainbow, you're one of the people that should be benefiting is what I'm hearing. Wow. No child left behind, man. <laughs> <laughs> Baboom. <laughs> Bamo. <laughs> I think sorry, it's so. Just, Go ahead. I was just texting my mother. She text. She was calling, and I said, "Sorry, I can't talk. I'm on a podcast right now." That was dude, lens flare. That dude. It was like you were shining one of the TNG palm beacons right into the camera. <laughs> it was like this. Do you have the game? What game? <laughs> the game. That's what oh, the Wesley one? <laughs> I have to say, last year at STLV, that cosplay that Claire did of the game was awesome. Was game. Yeah, it was very good. Shout out to Claire. Hey, Claire. Hey. 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 